Hi, and welcome to the Restore Body Balance podcast, where we combine psychology, biology, and neurology to enact life changes that stick. I'm Colleen Burns, licensed psychotherapist and founder of Restore Body Balance. So like we said last week, tis the season for change. January is fraught with New Year's resolutions. And despite our COVID climate and our pandemic this year, most of us are on board with just feeling better. And whether that's feeling better physically, emotionally, or both, I'm here to help with some tips. The first thing we're going to talk about today is food and mood. Not only does food tell our body what to do, food actually tells us how to feel. And so to jump right in, let's get to the biggest culprit these days with food, and that's sugar. Sugar does a lot of different things to the brain. First of all, there's a dopaminergic effect, right? So we have pleasure. We have dopamine released as a neurotransmitter. It's basically what we want more of as human beings. And we often seek pleasure and avoid pain. Also, these little neurotransmitters act as opioids. We don't want just a little pleasure. We want a lot. So believe it or not, as bizarre of an analogy as this is, they act like little heroin or opioids in the brain. Next, in terms of the effects of sugar on the brain, let's look at gluten. Gluten has proteins that are slightly wacky, and they're called gluteomorphines, which are morphine-like peptides that cause addiction. So I've often kidded around with our listeners with my obsession with Pepperidge Farm goldfish. I might just take a little handful But then I roll up the bag and I go back to what I was doing only moments later to return to that cabinet. You know, after all, it's the snack that smiles back. Although now I can't hide the fact that I have little kids that like Pepperidge Farm goldfish. My kids are much older, but I still buy them. And again, it's because it has that little effect that causes an addiction, essentially. And you can actually see this on brain imaging studies. Take another culprit, something like sugar that's in yogurt. There is more sugar in some yogurt than a can of Coke. So when you look at what you're eating, you really have to be very careful in looking at the labels. Let's take tomato sauce, for example. Some tomato sauce jars or cans have more sugar than Oreo cookies. I mean, can you believe that? And a glass of orange juice these days is also like drinking a can of Coke. You often see things in the grocery market like cookies and cream cereal or anything that has a label slapped on it that maybe it has vitamin D or if you add milk, it adds calcium. Basically, what we're taught at the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, where I obtained my health coaching certificate, is that if there's a health claim on the label, don't eat it. We should just be looking at 
Whole Foods. Let's even look at that can of soda, for example. Most soda cans have about 15 teaspoons of sugar. You know, you wouldn't put 15 teaspoons of sugar in your mouth, would you? We really just have to look at how we're changing our brain by changing our food. Now, that's the brain that we know of that sits right on top of our head. But let's look at your second brain and the effects of food and sugar on the microbiome. So, for example, we've increased our calories quite a bit over the years, and specifically in sugar consumption. Our diet, our exercise, our toxins, a lot of us have leaky gut syndrome, inflammation, and food sensitivities. And this is all about our diet. Our diet affects what bugs live in our gut, not to mention things like overuse of antibiotics, acid blockers, and Advil. We're really failing as a culture, but podcasts like today and the work of health coaches like myself are helping treatment and improving models of care. A lot of doctor's offices these days not only have a nurse, but they also have actual health coaches, not nutritionists per se, but people just helping us to just eat a little bit better. It's about self-care. It's not just about calorie restriction, folks. You know, in this day and age of, you know, folks having, you know, New Year's resolutions to lose weight, really calorie restriction is a failure model. When you restrict calories, your survival mechanism actually kicks in. It's saying, I'm defending you against starvation. And so maybe you do lose weight with some restriction. Maybe you lose a little bit of fat, but you also lose muscle. And then you gain it all back. But when you gain it back, this time, believe it or not, it's all fat. So now we need less calories. But wait, I can't restrict more calories. I'm already starving. Now you've really messed up your metabolism and that has slowed down. But guess what? Your hunger has gone up. (laughs) This isn't working if we're trying to lose weight. But in looking at what I do in terms of integrative health coaching and counseling, we can look at what we call functional nutrition or my absolute favorite in the world, Dr. Andrew Weil, who uses food as medicine. And we can rebalance your system. Not all calories are created the same. This is a big misnomer in our culture. Going back to that restriction of calories, or really anything for that matter, you know, you can kind of white knuckle it for a while, but your body is very intelligent, right? So firstly, the more sugar and carbs you have, specifically unrefined sugars, the more you're increasing your fat storage. It's like a fat storage factory. Secondly, calorie restriction also antagonizes weight loss. So when you restrict calories, certainly you go into starvation, there's a biological 
adaptation that happens. And that's that slowing of your metabolism. And guess what? It also makes you hungry. So we really need to look at these different models that are out there, especially around January when folks are trying to exercise more and diet and eat less. You know, there's a lot of working theories, specifically in medical journals like JAMA, that basically that exercise more, eat less diet, it really doesn't work. Or the just eating a low-carb diet you know, we have to really look at, again, a balance. And this is where I come in with my integrative medicine is that we have to also look at the quality of our diet. It's not just calories that lead to fat storage, right? I just had this conversation with my daughter on on the way back from her horseback riding lesson which is turning out to be a little bit more anxiety provoking for her since her horse is spooky and she tends to have anticipatory anxiety. And we talked about, you know, when you're stressed and what happens and the hormones that come out, specifically cortisol. And cortisol likes to keep fat storage and specifically around certain major organs. And certainly with our COVID climate these days, we have to look at that stress-based response that we're all in. It's actually making you fat. It's not your behavior that drives your biochemistry and biology. It's the biochemistry that's driving your behavior. So please remember this. When you're eating nutrient-dense foods, getting ample exercise and rest, your system's in balance and your cravings go down. We really need to look at what we're craving when we go to reach for maybe those Pepperidge Farm goldfish crackers. But that's on me. Getting back to this new working hypothesis about calories being created equal and eating nutrient-dense foods, we do have to look at what we also learned at the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, which is... It's your bioavailability of your food that actually determines your hunger and your food intake. It's not just about your, you know, moral fortitude of what you're going to put in your body. It's not about necessarily just being lazy or exercising like crazy. And it's not calories in, calories out. It's not eat less, exercise more. That only lowers your anabolic drives, and we want to look at automatic weight loss, right? We want to look at automatically increasing your energy expenditure and then automatically decreasing your voluntary food intake. And I know that this is a complicated subject, so I'm just going to pause there. And I'm going to say this very simply. You have more control over what you eat than how much. Food is very, very important. Food is becoming the new drug. It improves the expression of tens of thousands of genes. It balances dozens of hormones. And it optimizes tens of thousands of protein networks. And the faster, the better, and the cleaner than any other drug, and it's available to you 
right now. It's food. And when we choose clean foods, I've often talked about the Clean 15 and the Dirty Dozen, which you all can look up. It's the best ways to look at what foods are being treated, um, what things are GMO, et cetera. And like I said, you can just Google that and you can find out. And we also need to go back to that bioavailability piece, right? Because believe it or not, certain calories actually make you hungry. Calories meaning energy. Certain foods can actually make you more hungry. And then let's go back to that visceral belly fat, right? That's a driver of behavior. Again, your body wants you to survive. Speaking of fight or flight, when we're in that fight or flight and shooting off norepinephrine, epinephrine, adrenaline, and cortisol, it specifically is not just only going to fight or flight, right? For your fist to fight or your feet to flee, okay? It's also saying, I need to protect my major organs. And that's where that visceral body fat starts to build up. And it's very dangerous. We can also look at genetic variations, of course, but we really need to look at how, as a culture, we've changed, right? Our brains have literally changed, folks. We actually look at how many sensitivities we have now developed. And of course, our huge insurgence of diabetes because of our insulin response. And we have to look at those triggers. When we also want to, you know, the culture of our children, I mean, let's face it, I know we're in the COVID climate these days, but this is why I'm spending so much time at the barn, right? Because my daughter rolls out of bed, rolls to her computer, rolls back to her bed, maybe rolls downstairs, has a snack, and then goes right back to the computer, and then eventually dinner in bed. So the more we can get out and move, the more we can spend time in nature, the more we can interact with people or animals that actually talk about a wonderful dopamine hit, talk about you know, reducing the fight or flight response and actually looking at ways to create calm and safety. Our kids need to move. They need to socialize in any way, shape or form. The pandemic, unfortunately, with my schools in my community here in Brookline, my daughter is in a remote school. It's called RLA, Remote Learning Access. It's essentially a virtual school in the clouds. And the PTO and the principals got together the other day for a Zoom coffee, and we were talking about just ways to stimulate our kids after school since they might not be able to play with their friends. We're talking about going on virtual field trips. We're talking about, of course, I volunteered to do stress management, which I now have to come up with a clever plan in my busy schedule. But we, we really do need to look at ways to foster lifestyle change. That's what I say in my book, Prescription for Change, Using Your Lifestyle's Medicine, is that we have a lot more control over our food and our mood and our lifestyle than we realize. So let's move on to another piece that we have looked at specifically in the brain. We're looking at different receptor sites being triggered. I wish I had this on a YouTube video. So picture me moving my fingers around, right? That's 
receptor sites being activated. And then once you have a certain food, it calms down. But something like a simple sugar doesn't actually last very long. And then we start craving again. And then guess what? The more sugar in our microbiome, those bugs actually, guess what? Need more sugar to survive. Shocking, right? So our cravings are real. Your cravings are real. It's not that you're weak, right? So in all these times of January and making change and New Year's resolutions, let's just resolve to be kinder to ourselves. Let's resolve to use our lifestyle as medicine, okay? Food is not just calories. Food is information. It has instructions to tell the body what to do. Every single bite matters. You can change your gene expression with every bite. You can change your microbiome. Remember we talked about serotonin is manufactured in your gut, not your brain. They did not teach me that in graduate school. I love Boston College. Thank you so much, alma mater. But it really was the Institute for Integrative Nutrition and the gut microbiome course, the second certificate I obtained, which we talked about the second brain, the microbiome, and and how that does 100% affect our mood. Food affects your whole body in many ways, from enzymes, mitochondria, gene expression, like we said, communication, hormones, all your cells that are communicating with one another. It's also communicating with your gut flora, detoxification. So what's the treatment? What's the antidote, so to speak. Well, first of all, we have to stop eating food that's addictive. Yes, that includes me and my Pepperidge Farm goldfish crackers. Very addictive. What's another form of treatment? Well, we can reduce that anabolic drive of that visceral body fat, right? We need to reset our neural hormonal responses to food And I'm not talking about a cleanse per se. Again, we learned the concept of crowding out, right? So add a fruit or vegetable to your meal. And it's not just about, you know, restriction. It's about you're eating less because you're filling up on something else. We also, by eating cleaner, normalize our brain chemistry and dopamine. Our dopamine receptor sites are actually there to regulate your appetite. And that'll be another podcast where we actually talk about those hormones like ghrelin. And, you know, we look at what makes us hungry and what gives us that sense of satiety. But we also have to look at like what we're putting in our body. I have a whole podcast on this food equals mood in terms of us consuming too many omega-6s and not enough omega-3s, or how you know you have to look at how maybe magnesium and vitamin B6, I think, actually need to work together for you to get certain benefits from certain foods. So again, I'm not I'm not advertising myself as a as a nutritionist here, but we're just looking at making a simple chart like what triggers My girlfriend is determined to tell me that red wine does not give me a stuffy nose. Well, I'm here to say today, yes, 
I love you, Miriam, but today, after a couple of glasses of red wine last night, I have a stuffy nose and I'm not sick. Um, but, you know, we have to look at certain foods that trigger allergens in the body, right? We also want to grow the right bugs in our gut, right? So again, we want to look at probiotics and fermented foods. We want to nourish that microbiome and clean it out. Again, the microbiome can be responsible for headaches, certainly sinus congestion, irritable bowel, eczema, insomnia, reflux, acne, believe it or not, knee pain, joint pain, and depression. Basically what they call I feel like crap syndrome, but we can fix all that, right? We can fix all that with very simple changes, getting ourselves in some sort of an action plan, right? You don't have to do this on your own. I'm here with you. We can get your body back into alignment. And that's again, looking at my program where we use your lifestyle as medicine, you can also look at lifestyle and what we also learned in terms of what we call primary food and secondary food. And again, I learned this at the Institute for Integrative Nutrition and what they called, believe it or not, your primary food also nourishes you. So food equals mood, sure. Food affects our microbiome, sure. But it's beyond food. Food is the secondary piece. We have to look at the primary piece. And again, I mentioned this specifically because of our COVID climate and our pandemic. Really, our primary food goes also into the body in a sense that we have to look at relationships, your parents, coworkers, your marriage, we have to look at our exercise or movement, right? I did a whole podcast on that. It's not just about running marathons or killing it at the gym. It's just movement in general. And again, movement by being balanced. Even our career is our primary food, right? How are we feeling in our career, our spirituality, and then our cravings, right? Like what are we not getting? Maybe when we go to the refrigerator, reach for that drink. What are we not getting, but what are we really craving, right? Your body doesn't make mistakes, right? Your heart beats. You don't forget to breathe. Your cravings are symptoms and they're telling us something is out of whack, right? And again, that goes back to lifestyle. And that's why the Prescription for Change, my book, Using Your Lifestyle as Medicine, is an individualized program. It's not me telling you what to do as a health coach or what to eat. It is literally looking at you and using your lifestyle as medicine. And we look at things like, what are you rewarding yourself with at the end of the day, right? You know, we also have to look at getting signals from our body, right? Like, are we not sleeping? Are we irritable? Are we craving certain things? And so when we get in sync with what our body really needs, that changes everything. And it's not just about willpower, right? We want to get that intrinsic drive. So all of this is lifestyle, and that's your primary food. Secondary is your diet and your food, etc. So maybe we can pause here, listeners, 
and you can just think about a list in your head. Maybe where are you really strong and where are you weak? So I love running. I love being outdoors. That was probably the biggest hurdle for me when I broke my foot this summer is that for some reason, it's not work for me. And, you know, my physical therapist, Christian, who I love at post-physical therapy, love, 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 literally saved me. Um, He wants me to do planks before I run to get my core engaged. I said to him, I will do 475 sit-ups. I will run in a snowstorm to Kenmore Square and back, but I hate the plank. And he just, you know, said, look, the plank will eventually help you with your running so you take away some pain. Just trust me. And again, now it's no work for me. It's not that much work for me to actually do the plank because the reward is I get to run, right? So we have to look at where are you strong and where are you maybe a little bit weaker and get them in sync. And then we also have to look at what you're craving. And then after you crave, you can look at where we deconstruct cravings and where we have a use for them. You know, my last piece to talk about with the Institute for Integrative Nutrition is something that we call the circle of life. The interesting thing is you really want to get a sense of like, where are you not being fulfilled, right? You can be eating all the kale and the broccoli in the world, but if you're not nourishing yourself on a holistic level, you're not going to feel as vibrant, right? So are we hunger for play? or touch, fun, romance, intimacy, achievement? Are we looking for success? Are we looking for art, music, self-expression? My daughter just took her guitar and her two friends grabbed their instruments and they went to a park and just started playing music. That's self-expression. You know, are we looking for more things like leadership or excitement? Is it potentially maybe a sense of adventure or spirituality? All of these, all of these are essential forms of nourishment. And again, that does go back to using your lifestyle as medicine. And so just in summation, folks, let's look at that last piece of self-fulfillment. That has to be a complete mental, emotional spiritual, and physical form of satisfaction. And that's where we can face our fears and we can actually look at using your lifestyle as medicine. It's not about restriction. It's about self-healing in the body. We really have to look at, you know, all of the work I did at the Benson Henry Institute, um, of course, with with um, the Department of Psychiatry um, at Harvard University, and that all goes back to that fight or flight response. It all goes back to eliciting the relaxation response. Um, you can heal yourself. You can feed yourself. You do need love. You need support. Um, and that's where I come in. That's where a lot of therapists and health coaches come in. Um, this is where you can heal. You can learn to say no, you can learn what you need. Um, and guess what? You can write the prescription for yourself. It's your choice. We don't have to be victims to this. It's about belief and it's about intention. 
And that is exactly what my program does. Like I said, it's prescription for change using your lifestyle as medicine and anything I can do to help, please feel free to reach out. Thank you for listening. And for more information about my programs where I combine the psychology of the mind, the biology of the body, and the neurology of the brain to enact life changes that stick, simply go to www.RestoreBodyBalance.com and we will use your lifestyle as medicine. See you next week and stay safe.